0: All right, thank you, Brother, for leading us through that. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to go in prayer um, together before the Lord, especially about something so incredible and sensitive. And um, right now, I want you to go back um, in your minds. Uh, for some of you, this might be impossible, uh, but for some of you, it could be very easy. Go back in your minds to uh, 2005. Where were you in the summer of 2000? And 5 I'll tell you where I was. <laughs> Summer 2005, some of you were like very young. Um, I went on a choir mission trip. Yeah, I was in a choir. Summer 2005, I went on a choir mission trip to uh, Chicago, um, inner city Chicago. I was, uh, um, I still am actually uh, tone deaf. Um, I, I can't sing can't carry a tune in a bucket, can't play any instrument whatsoever. Um, but in 2005, I was a uh, senior in high school and a new believer who was on fire for Jesus, and so that's probably why they wanted me to go on this trip. And and so I was on the trip, um, and uh, it was kind of like a, a choir trip slash mission trip. Um, and the name of our our group was VG, Vertical Generation. Yeah, it was awesome. We all had the same shirt, you know, so you couldn't, you know, miss a hundred white kids walking through inner city Chicago singing worship music. Um, Didn't attract any attention whatsoever. Um, I actually, (laughs) I actually rapped to open one of the songs. Hey, you can laugh. You haven't heard me spit rhymes. I'm just saying. I'm not going to do it right now. I know you want me to, but I'm not going to do it. But, uh, but every night, um, we would get together, and um, there's, actually, there's no video footage of that either. Don't try to go to YouTube. Um, we would get together every night as a group. And uh, we were staying in this, like, high-rise hotel, and we had rented out this the conference room, and we would get together for a recap just of the day to talk about, like, what God did, what we see, interaction, stuff like that. And then we'd worship at the end of every night. Um, and I remember um, there was one night in particular that uh, it just seemed like the Holy Spirit just completely flooded the room. And, and we worshiped way longer than we normally would. Um, it, there was no schedule. There was no, like it was like out of the mind of any adult in the room. It, was like, it wasn't like there was a bedtime or anything. There was, you throw the schedule out the window. Um, and I just remember like people weeping over sin, like people confessing. I remember people crying out to the Lord. I remember people quoting scripture and I was like, that person's never read that before. I'm sure, you know. Like, I mean, people like it was. It was unbelievable. It was an unforgettable experience. And we walked away from that night in awe of the Lord, um, and I still talk to some of my my youth leaders, like who remember that night. Like it was it was unbelievable. Um, maybe you remember something like that in your life. Maybe you remember a time in your life where you were in a worship environment and it was a worship experience like you've never, like, had before. Maybe it was, like, an unforgettable experience, or maybe it was a conference. Maybe it was something like passion or, or whatever. Um, but if you remember from last chapter in Genesis, Jacob had such an encounter with the Lord that he was not going to forget it, right? Like, like at Bethel, like, north of Jerusalem, hadn't gone very far in his journey, um, up northeast and, and he has this experience, right? He has this dream and, and he has like the Lord just completely broke him down and, and he, is, he has this vision of God, right? And, and he hears the voice of God, he sees this ladder, right? He, he, he wakes up and he turns his stone pillow into a pillar and he anoints it and worships the Lord, right? He has this experience and he made a vow, right? And then he's like, he's got a little pep in his step to go the rest of the way, right? He realizes, I'm not alone. God just reminded me I'm not alone. He's with me. He is my God. Like, he's blessed me. I know that. And so he continues his journey. And and so you might think, like, we're going to see a lot of God in the next chapter. Well, let's see tonight how much of the Lord is actually mentioned in Genesis 29. Now, we're only going to be in the first 30 verses tonight. Um, and we're going to save the, the last five for next week. It's going to connect to chapter 30. So Genesis chapter 29, um, while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us before we read it. Father, I thank you so much uh, for tonight. Lord, I thank you that we've had the opportunity to come in here and to worship you, to lift up the name above all names. And Jesus, there is no one like you. And it is a privilege to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that tonight, as we read your word, it is worship. As your word is taught, it is worship. As we sing songs, it is worship. As we read your word together corporately, it is worship. As we pray together, it is worship. Lord, I pray that our lifestyles will be marked by sincere, genuine, and authentic worship to you, the one and only true God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis 29, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So um, in verse 1, the Hebrew in verse 1 actually is translated as, he picked up his feet and went, which means he's refreshed. He's vitalized, right? He's got a pep in his step, right, because of this worship experience he's just had. And he's going to need it because he's got about over 400 miles to travel north through terrain that is not very kind where he was going was haran upper mesopotamia this is northeast where abraham's family had lived and this is very significant in these first two verses we see the word well pop up multiple times the well was a very significant place that's where this scene is happening right and it's significant because we know that it meant there was a sign of god's blessing that practically there's water provided in this place and that's a really big deal in an arid area, right? It's a, it's a precious resource in any community. And so, after traveling hundreds of miles, he's wondering, like, where am I? How far have I gone? Like, he doesn't have a GPS, right? He doesn't have a, a smartphone. There's no TomTom. There's no, right? He doesn't have any of that stuff, okay? So, he doesn't know how far he's gone. He doesn't know if he's got there yet, but he sees a well. He sees some shepherds, so he's going towards it. And look at verse 4. Jacob said to them, my brothers. Where do you come from? And they said, "We are from Haran." So he's made it. He just found that out just by talking to them, right? He wasn't sure if he'd gone far enough, but he, he's actually made it to his family's land. And now he's going to ask some very specific about his uncle. He said to them, "Verse five: Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor?" And they said, "We know him." And he said to them, "Is it well with him? Shalom. Is it? Is it? Is he at peace? is, is he well?" like whole they said yeah it is well and see Rachel his daughter is coming with the sheep so he not only made it to family land but he made it specifically to where he needed to be where his parents said you need to go and find a wife right and he's just about to meet his future wife Rachel is coming and and so it doesn't say it in the text Jacob doesn't say it, but is God's timing not absolutely perfect, right? Like, this is God's sovereign timing. Like, his, his providence is all over this, and, but Jacob doesn't acknowledge it whatsoever. Instead, he decides to turn into a boss really quickly and to talk to these shepherds and tell them what to do. Look at verse 7. He said, "'Behold, it's still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them.'" But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. And then we will water the sheep. So these shepherds are probably like, who is this dude? Like, why is he telling us what to do? Right? And like, we can't, we can't do this, buddy. Like, We have to wait. And this stone is really big over the well. We can't move it by ourselves. There's not enough of us yet. So Jacob is about to show them how it's done. Look at verse 9 while he was still speaking with them Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess so this is pretty uncommon shepherding was a very difficult job dangerous work and usually men did it and so Rachel she's pretty tough kind of like Rebecca right and verse 10 now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban his Mother's brother and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So their narrator really didn't want you to miss the fact that this is Jacob's mother's brother. He said that multiple times, right? This is Jacob's mother's brother's daughter. This is Jacob's mother's brother's sheep. This is Jacob's mother's brother's flock, right? And so now Jacob's about to bow up, he's about to show off, okay? And because and he sees Rachel. And he does what all the shepherds said they couldn't do. He moves the stone by himself. He waters the sheep. So God has already started to fulfill his promise to Jacob. Remember, he promised him and reminded him, hey, you're going to have a lot of descendants. Well, how do you have descendants without a wife? Well, the Lord has sovereignly led him straight to his future wife. So instead of saying anything, about God, right? He decides to show off, show his muscles, kiss her and cry. That's what this guy does. Look at verse 11. Jacob, after showing off, kissed Rachel and wept out loud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. So this is an interesting scene, right? Right? Sidney Greganus said this in his commentary. He said, like Rebecca before her, Rachel runs home to tell her father Laban about the stranger at the well. Daddy, daddy, come, come here and and see a guy who claims to be Rebecca's son. He single-handedly moved the stone off the well and watered your flock. So we, we learn a few things. Like Jacob was not a wimp, as some might suspect him to be. Right? He also, he knew how to handle himself, he was confident, and he also, um, he knew what he was doing with the sheep. He was a good shepherd, right? And now, I read a lot uh, of mixed reviews about this scene. So there's a few different interpretations when it comes to the kiss. Like, what did that mean? What did that look like? Right? Some people say, this is not a romantic kiss. It's, it's more like, like, oh, hey, long lost family, good to see you. You know, some say um, you got to remember the cultural context, like greeting with a kiss was kind of like a handshake for us. Some say this was love at first sight. He wanted the shepherds to leave because he saw his boo coming, and so he wanted to have one-on-one time. Well, we don't really know exactly what it looked like. However, what we do know is that Jacob is crying tears of joy. Like, he's stoked. He's excited, okay? So, Does the beginning of this story remind you of another story about a wife, someone looking for a wife, something in Genesis about a well, maybe, right? Sound familiar? There's a lot of interesting similarities between how the Lord blessed Abraham's servant when he went to look for Rebekah for Isaac and this passage. Tons of similarities, right? Have you ever heard of the concept of divine appointments, some people like to say chance encounters. That's a complete coincidence. It's just lucky. It's a complete chance encounter. Well, Alan Ross said, Believers do not view such turns of affairs as mere coincidences. Rather, believers recognize that God orders the affairs of human beings. The parallel is more than coincidence. This narrative implies that providence was at work in Jacob's life. So there, they, these were similarities And there's differences. This is the Rebecca, Isaac, and Rachel, Jacob accounts. There's a lot of similarities. We're going to go over a few of them. They both occurred unexpectedly and very quickly, right? They they both occurred at a well. Uh, But one glaring difference was Abraham's servant bathed his encounter in prayer and praise to the Lord. He acknowledged the Lord openly and worshiped the Lord openly when he realized where he was, when he realized that the Lord was answering his prayer, right? And Jacob does not. So we know that God has sovereignly orchestrated this encounter to accomplish his plan. Now, perhaps Rachel had heard stories about her dad and Rebecca. And so Rachel runs to Laban, her father, and look at verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So lot of, lots of running happening in this family. Like, and I don't know if you know, but back then people didn't run for fun, right? It's not like you see Harry running down the road. There's not, not a bunch of Harry McSwain's running around for fun, okay? Laban, like, He had a favorable greeting for Jacob. He ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him. Shows him hospitality, right? Um, Perhaps Laban remembers when he heard somebody else came from Abraham's house once and he had a, a big group of people with him and a lot of awesome things that he gave us. Maybe there's more of this awesome stuff to be had at the well. So he runs. He must have been disappointed when he found Jacob with nothing. He didn't have a caravan. He didn't have a bunch of, of, of flocks of anything, right? He, he didn't have a bunch of money. He didn't have a bunch of treasure. He didn't have a bunch of servants. He had nothing. The, the narrator tells us in verse 13 that Jacob told Laban all these things. W- what is all these things? What did, what did he tell him? Did, did he tell him that he had just cheated his brother out of the blessing? Did he tell him he just deceived his father to get the blessing? Did he tell him that, hey, my brother wants to kill me, so I came here to get a wife from your family? Did he tell him that? Or did he tell him, like, how his journey went? Well, Laban's statement is interesting. Surely you are my bone and my flesh. After hearing Jacob tell him his story, Sidney Greganus said, Laban seems to be saying, you and I are cut from the same cloth. We're both greedy for more wealth. We're both willing to deceive to get that wealth. I found it pretty interesting that Jacob was actually 77 years old in this scene. He's 77 years old when he meets Laban. So it's been almost 80 years since Genesis 24, right? When Rebekah left Laban's house. And if you remember, in Genesis 24, uh, verse 50, it says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered, Abraham's servant, and they said this, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. If you contrast Abraham's servant praising the Lord and hear Laban acknowledging God's hand in the whole thing, you contrast that with Jacob's interaction with Laban, what's missing? Any mention whatsoever of God in Laban's mouth, right? This is, as far as we see, this is just a happy family reunion. So far, it's happy. Let's continue in verse 15. And Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages are should be. So remember, like, he, he's been there a month. So Laban has seen Jacob. He's like, he's got a solid work ethic. He knows what he's doing. It's handy to have another guy around, especially who knows, like, how to shepherd, flock. So he's like, hey, man, just because we're family doesn't mean you should serve me for nothing. What should your wages be? And now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Pause. Is anybody else wondering what does that mean? Leah's eyes were weak. Is, it, is she like blind almost? No. That's not what people believe. But these are physical descriptions that we get of these two women. And some translators say that Leah's eyes being weak means that they were soft. Some commentators think that that this means that they didn't have a fire in them. Whereas Rachel's eyes were sparkling and beautiful. And Jacob was drawn in. So, one commentator actually said Leah was like a more homely woman. And Rachel is like beautiful in form and appearance. If you really want to know what their names mean, Leah means weary, tired cow. And thanks, Dad. And Rachel means uh, tender ewe, lamb, like a precious little pure lamb. So Jacob chose the lamb over the cow. (laughs) But we we don't see him praying for wisdom. We don't see him asking the Lord, hey, Lord, like, is this who you've led me to? Like, who's my wife? Like, I need some discernment here. I need some direction. What, is it, what, what do we see? It says in verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I mean, that's huge. This is massive. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. So Jacob would be happy. to to pay the bride price for Rachel by giving of his time and labor because you remember he doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have a bride price to give her, right? And and so he's like, what I lack in physical possession, I have in desire for your youngest daughter and I will work for you. And so here we see that it says that he loves her. You've known her for a month, bro. You know, he's madly in love with her maybe even blindly in love with her. He's got major hard eyes either way. But he's in la-la land love, okay? Because seven years of hard labor, and it says it's just a few days, that's pretty deep, right? I mean, that's, that's some serious, deep love. I was talking with an elderly gentleman recently. I've actually had this conversation with multiple elderly gentlemen but this guy was married for like 40, over 40 years, and, um, and he was telling me about his marriage and how much he loves his wife. And I was like, dude, you've been married for 40 years? That's amazing. And he was like, yeah, you know, looking back over it, 40 years of marriage, he's like, honestly, it feels like five minutes. I was like, that's sweet. He said, underwater. I was like, oh. It's like, man. <laughs> but those old guys and their jokes. (laughs) But verse 21 is very interesting. (laughs) It seems like Jacob had to remind Laban of the deal that they had struck together. Let's read it together. Verse 21. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. And so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So Laban doesn't say anything. He's like, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'm going to throw a party. And this is translated, feast is translated as drinking banquet. So this is going to be a big party, right? And Laban's plotting and scheming while he's planning this party. Verse 23, but in the evening, when he took his daughter Leah and brought her, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, not Rachel, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? This is when you hear music, you know, like the the irony of this is hilarious. The trickster gets tricked, right? The, The schemer is schemed. He got a taste of his own medicine. He, he, was, he was just as blind as his father was because of his desires, right? Naturally, our curiosity has peaked, or at least mine was. I was like, how in the world would Jacob not know the difference between Leah and Rachel? It just doesn't make sense, right? But Jacob didn't recognize that it was Leah for a few different reasons, perhaps. It was dark at night when... She was brought to him in the tent. She could have had a veil on her face, right? Remember also, there's no electricity. There's no artificial lighting, okay? A lot of people have been drinking at the feast. A lot of factors go into why he wouldn't notice or recognize what's going on. What What we do know is that Jacob, the supplanter, got supplanted, right? The deceiver got deceived. Sidney Gaganus points out the irony here. He said, Jacob had pretended to be his older brother Esau, and the deception worked because Isaac was blind and drank wine. Now Leah was pretending to be her younger sister Rachel, and the deception worked because Jacob was blind in the dark of the night and drank wine. My, my, how the tables have turned. Laban was just a good liar just as good of a schemer, just as good of a manipula- manipulator, cheater, as his sister. He must have ran in the family, right? Remember what Rebecca did with Isaac? Alan Ross said Jacob would realize that this deception was designed by God to make him, the deceiver, know that such de- devices were repugnant to God. Jacob's learning a lesson here, right? Yeah, hey, what, what, you, what you sow, you will reap, Your sin's coming back on you, buddy. So while God doesn't condone sin, it's important for us to remember that he still uses it to accomplish his purposes. God would use Laban and Leah's deception to teach Jacob a lesson. Look at verse 26. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Man, this is a slap in the face considering who he's talking to. Right? This is a major dig. Complete the week of this one. Finish this wedding week. I'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so. He doesn't object to this because he knows he just got served. So Jacob completed the week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So if you do some math, right, Jacob was 84, when he got married. Because he had served for seven years. 84. I mean that's really old to get married. Right? I don't know about you. But if you're single. I think that gives you some hope. I mean. God can still bring you. To the the woman of your dreams. The man of your dreams. Even if it's really late in life. Did you notice how unapologetic Laban was? Like he didn't. Explain his, like anything like he didn't have to right it was against their custom for the younger to get married before the older. I used to think that Jacob had to wait fourteen years to marry Rachel, but a close reading of the text shows us that he finished the week with Leah, and then he also got Rachel, but then he had to work another seven years so he actually got married to two women in one week. So, verse 29. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So, Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another 7 years. Wow. Is this not a crazy turn of events? Right? Like a lot as a lot of time has transpired, a lot of stuff has happened, a lot of ground has been covered in this brief 30 verses. In his commentary, Ross said, now Jacob would understand how Esau felt. Now he would serve seven more years and receive a divided family, a loved wife and an unloved wife, who had shared in the deception. So at the end of both seven-year stints to Laban, Jacob would have been 91 years old. At the beginning of this text, he was single in 77. At the end, he's 91 and married to two women and their sisters, and they're not equally loved. Can you say house divided? This is, this is misery. Jacob, having more than one wife, is describing what actually is happening in the narrative. It's not prescribing that for us today. Once again, we see God use the sinful, selfish acts of men to accomplish his purposes. You know, it's interesting to note that there's absolutely zero mention of the Lord in verses 1 through 30. Zero. Right? The interactions between these characters is strictly business. By reading this, you would have thought Jacob had just, he had just encountered God. Right? Like he, he'd just have a vision of God. He just had a dream. He's just seen a ladder. just seen angels going up and down. just seen heaven and the Lord speak. And does Jacob mention the Lord once? No. He's eerily silent about God. He doesn't say anything to Laban that would signify faith, that would signify trust, that would signify that he depended upon the Lord for his journey, for bringing him to where he was. And he doesn't signify anything that, hey, Laban, I received Abraham's blessing. I'm the one who's going to carry on this covenant blessing. In the eyes of the world, this entire transaction just looks like it's just pure business. Sometimes that's how we live our lives, right? We, we have these, these moments in time in our lives where we have an amazing worship experience where we, we make a vow to the Lord. We're like, that was incredible. I'll never forget that. I'll never be the same because of that. You remember that? And we leave it in that box. We leave it compartmentalized. And then we go on to live our lives. Not acknowledging. That the Lord is there. That the Lord is still in control. We like to do things our own way. Even when we've encountered. God. But Jacob. You know he doesn't seem like. The best candidate. To be the bearer of the blessing. How often do You and I do the same thing. How many times have I left God out of a situation? How many times have I forgotten that God is in this circumstance? This is not a coincidence. We, We have every blessing in Christ, but sometimes we live like orphans. We've got access to God's throne of grace in prayer, but we feel like we're disconnected. We're blessed with God's presence, but yet we feel Alone. We're empowered with the Holy Spirit, but yet we feel weak. Have you ever been on a mission trip or went to a, a camp or had an experience, at a worship service, where you had this camp high experience, only to go back home to go about your life like nothing significant ever happened? Like you hadn't encountered God? Have you ever lived eerily silent of, of God's presence? of his voice. Like, he's never done anything for you before. Man, how, as I looked at this, as I studied this, I was wondering, how could God be so patient with Jacob? Like, does God's grace not boggle your mind? Like, it would, it would almost be like, it would, we would, we would say, if, if we read this and said, an angel came down and smacked Jacob upside the head, we'd be like, yeah, he needs to be smacked upside the head. Right? Like, he's not mentioning God at all. He's not worshiping God at all. He's not praying at all. Jacob would continue to learn how surprising God's grace is in his life, just like we do. Many other people would be surprised by an encounter with God as we continue through the story of the Bible. Many other people would be surprised by encounters at wells, because centuries later, there was one man who met another woman at a well, a well that Jacob actually dug. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. If not, I would encourage you to go read it, John chapter 4. It's an amazing picture of God's surprising grace towards the unexpected. This woman wasn't seeking God like Jacob. She'd done nothing to deserve God's grace like Jacob. She was a cheater too. She had actually had five husbands and was living with a dude who was not her husband. And Jesus knew it and called her out on it. He knew how shameful she felt. He knew how undeserving she felt, yet he showers her with grace. She knew her sin was exposed. She knew she was guilty. She knew she couldn't run. But she also knew that worship was important. The worship of Yahweh was important. She failed to realize that the location about where you worship is not important. She might have been at Jacob's well and her fathers might have worshiped there before, but Jesus was surprising her. It would have been a surprise for her to hear that God wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where you worship, right? It was a surprise for her to hear, hey, your hope shouldn't be in Jacob or his well or where you worship. Your hope should be in me. I don't care if Jacob is is your patriarch, right? There's only hope in Jesus. And you and I, like Jacob, we often live as if we've never encountered God. We we live as if we've never heard his word, as, as if we've never known his blessings. But God has surprisingly showered us with grace. He has mercy on us by not treating us how our sins deserve, and I'm so thankful for that. He showers grace on us by loving us and forgiving us, even though we are so undeserving. He does this so that we would worship him, not just in a moment, not just in an experience, not just at a conference or a mission trip, but so we would worship him with our lives, so that it wouldn't, we wouldn't compartmentalize our lives, that it wouldn't be just an isolated experience, but that we would worship him with all that we are, all the time, everywhere, Because of his grace given to us through Jesus, we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And because we are so undeserving, he gets all the glory, as he should, because only Jesus is worthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for passages like this. Lord, I thank you that even though there is not one mention of you in these verses, we see you all over it because you are sovereign because you are always working even when we can't see it even when we don't acknowledge it even when we aren't looking for it when we're not asking for you to work and asking for you to move when we don't tell people that we've had an encounter with you you're always still there So patient So gracious So kind So merciful Father I pray that we would Not forget You That we would not forget those times When we've had an amazing Worship experience And I pray that we would not live Our lives in different boxes Where we compartmentalize Lord where we forget that you walk with us, that you've blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I pray, Father, that we would worship you as your people in spirit and in truth because you are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.